You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Employee Safety Podcast. I'm Sarah Prattley, and I'll be your guest host this week. Today's episode features Tim Crockett, who is an expert in global security, risk management, and customized safety programs. I worked closely with Tim at CNN for many years when he was a safety and security leader working with our international journalists. He is a veteran of the British Special Forces and spent his life and career in and out of war zones. Tim's trainings have helped journalists survive unbelievable news gathering missions around the world, but his core principles are universal and can be applied to any organization to help them keep their people and business safe and secure. Today, Tim serves as the founder and senior consultant of Flying Frog Consultants. The company provides specialist safety and security risk management support to companies that are looking to keep their personnel safe in any situation or environment. There's a lot to learn from today's episode, so let's jump in. All right, Tim, it's clearly a huge understatement to say that you've seen a lot throughout your career from your time in the military to your work preparing journalists for war zones and, of course, the work you're doing now. What would you say motivates you to continue in this line of work? Well, first, uh, you may ask the question, sort of what does a former Special Forces guy have to sort of teach journalists about working in a hostile environment? Well, you may or may not know that one of the primary roles of any special forces unit is surveillance and reconnaissance. That is obviously re- to report back kind of tactical information. We often work in small teams behind enemy lines, sort of gathering information on troop strengths, movements, and also then transmitting that information back to a higher headquarters. These kind of covert fact-finding operations are not too dissimilar from the structure and overall aims that you see journalists undertake, certainly those that work in the broadcast field. I was lucky enough to be in and around working with some investigative journalists when I just left the military and found myself sort of gravitating towards them because of what they were doing, the interest in the work, and that, quite honestly, no two days were ever the same. So I I saw a direct relationship of what I'd gone through to kind of that news-gathering world, and I was being asked to kind of prepare and keep people safe based on my own experiences. So there was a lot of crossover very early on. Wow, yeah, so many synergies between your time in the military and of course working with journalists. When you work with journalists, what would you say are your key areas of focus in your trainings with them? A journalist in the field is almost never completely in control, especially during a breaking news event. And there's no such thing as a risk-free environment. But you can significantly reduce the risk by learning how to maintain a degree of control. How do we do that? Obviously, we focus on three main areas, and that is awareness, anticipation, and avoidance. If you know what the risks are, you know what's going on around you, situational awareness, and what is likely to happen, happen, then you can start to anticipate and prepare a course of action or course of actions So you can then take a more proactive approach to avoiding a specific hazard or risk. When considering high-risk assignments like war reporting, conflict, civil unrest, and and large, widespread, and impactful natural disasters, you, you need to look at sort of four general building blocks, and that is planning, weapons and their effects, and, and again, that can also translate into the risk associated with a disaster and their effects, 
like high winds, tsunamis, flooding, that sort of stuff. Because then that lends itself to how self-sufficient or prepared one can be. And then we also cover a fairly high level of medical training, again, which speaks to being able to be self-sufficient when you're either operating overseas or in an area where those emergency services may be either tied up providing aid to someone else or you just need a degree of flexibility. The aim of the training, obviously, is to assist journalists to assess that risk themselves and then to to kind of act on that with that awareness to enhance their own decision-making ability. It's not a substitute for it. And the aim of our training is to sort of empower those journalists with a degree of confidence and competence so they retain, again, some control in a variety of different situations. And again, a lot of that can translate from international work to domestic work to covering politics. When you think about all those kinds of situations, obviously times have changed, right? Situations have evolved. How has your training evolved over the years and since you first started? To be honest, I think the basic principles have not changed, or if they have very little. I think what has changed is the operating environment. The size and speed of that environment now is much different than it was 10 years ago, let alone 20, 30 years ago. If you look at how many journalists are out there now, and and I use the term journalist not from a purely, I went to school to to study journalism, but now anyone that will pick up a smartphone, film something, and then report it to someone else, uh, they will sort of fall within this, this situation. Some of the threats that we're seeing today are now much more complex, and also depending on the news cycle and focus, we're starting to see organizations having to justify or balance competing budget dollars for hostile environment training, which is easy to kit to cut if you're sort of focusing on a I know, political election cycle. So we've we've had to not necessarily change the training, but learn to tailor it for different outcomes and present the training to sort of demonstrate its value. It's not just about how is this news team going to cover the conflict in X country. It's providing them with a certain set of skills that are transferable in any situation, in any environment. And then that in turn obviously lowers the risk not only to them, but to the organization and gives them sort of a a competitive advantage. Yeah, the environment has certainly changed. And as you mentioned, the players have changed in so many ways, too. And as we talk today, you know, I'd say it's hard not to mention what's going on in Ukraine, really, you know, Russia's war on Ukraine at this point. I know you've been watching this very closely for weeks, as well as a bunch of people that I'm sure are listening in today. After seeing what you've seen, would you say the situation has changed how journalists need to be trained moving forward? I don't think the training needs to change fundamentally, but it's important that it has to happen and it has to be refreshed. Obviously, training is expensive. And just because somebody took a course maybe 15, 20 years ago, it doesn't mean that they've retained all of that information. Safety training is a perishable skill and it has to be refreshed and updated to obviously ensure that it's still relevant to the risks that journalists are faced with today. I would say that the the focus over the past six and eight years has been very different than what we're seeing in Ukraine at the moment. Training to cover war has not been a priority. And I think the speed in which this conflict unfolded caught a lot of organizations out because perhaps the basics, which they probably all know, just weren't fully applied. Also, the principles have to be universally applied. It's not just about 
those that are in harm's way on the ground. News managers must know and appreciate the risks that are that those news teams are exposed to. So they themselves don't pressure their journalists, whether they're staff or freelance, into situations where they're not perhaps prepared or fully supported to, to cope. And those on the ground also need to know that they have their own limitations and they have to understand that they can't use luck as a strategy in order to kind of avoid getting caught up in, in whatever's going on. Yeah, truly. And I, I realize that we focus a lot on journalism and conflict, but I also recognize that a lot of the things that we're discussing, you know, there's a lot of synergies and things that pertain to different industries and different organizations and different roles. So segueing into kind of that next question, how do you apply these same safety principles to other organizations and areas? It varies on the organization, obviously. I'd say a lot of time and expense can be saved by conducting some form of risk assessment or risk analysis in the early stages of any project. If you don't know the risks, then how on earth could you avoid them? So that would be probably the first step that is easily transferable to any other business sector, project, production, you name it. And again, it's then reframing what safety is all about. And again, you can use safety security interchangeably in, in many different situations. It's a positive quality in any profession and should not be sacrificed for just getting the job done. I think if we look at broad terms, every business venture or project contains an element of risk. And now no risk encompassing profession would dream of sending personnel without sort of properly training them first. So the military, the police, fire, emergency services, all prepare their personnel through training based on the experience of others and lessons learned from kind of past incidences. And then effective training should focus and build upon those lessons derived from those past experiences. It should give individuals or the team the skills and confidence to deal with those most likely, those events most likely to happen and then obviously, it's teaching those fundamental principles that can be applicable to all situations. That, again, is, a, is sort of a given. I think the key is for everyone within the business or involved in a particular project to think about safety in the same way as they would any other business process. And it has to be built in to that process or part of that process and not siloed or an afterthought, which invariably is what happens. And then it's hard to get kind of budget dollars to properly attend to that kind of risk management or risk mitigation. Okay, great. And when you think about, you know, you've mentioned budget and, and people trying to cut corners, you know, I recognize that sometimes when things are, and especially risk and safety aren't front and center, there can be, you know, minimizing of budgets in those areas. Are you seeing any sort of change in that area, especially in the work that you're doing now? Are you seeing more companies and organizations committing more to the safety and security side as things become more threatening around the globe? In a lot of the organizations that we're working with at the moment, I, I would say that it's been in a state of flux. They tend to gravitate towards us when they either have a problem or have had some sort of near miss sort of situation, or they're they're venturing into a new area, whether that's a new country or a new project, and they need a little bit of assistance in in figuring things out. I don't think there are many that intentionally look to cut corners. But again, coming back to that question about what has changed, the speed. In, in the environments that we work in today, the competing pressures to get the job done and, and quickly, or there, there's always a time factor in, in those deliverables. So good meaning sort of 
employees, managers, in their haste to get the job done, it's it's if they don't know what to expect or they don't know what the risks are in the particular project or environment, they blow just straight past them and then they can get caught out and then they can have that domino knock-on effect. So ten- we tend to sort of engage with clients after the fact. And once they've gone through that, whether it's a near miss or they've had a situation, they then do start to build that into their processes. So they are now focused on doing a, a thorough risk assessment and risk analysis and, and, and determining, is this the right project for us? And then starting to sort of carve out budget for that component within the, the wider project or assignment. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, I know you're working with a lot of different groups and organizations now. What are some of the ways that you're helping your clients at this point with safety and security challenges? Can you talk to us a little bit about those? More recently, obviously, with the pandemic, we've been asked to come in and help deal with what they do on a day-to-day basis. Let's say it's a, a TV production and how they can continue to film, record, whatever it may be with this pandemic and all the the risks that goes along it obviously it's risk to employees and then obviously the fallout from that reputationally so we get asked to come in and, and help them understand the risk and then develop a plan to mitigate that risk so up front we take on quite a, a big component in in helping them sort of plan around that and if it's something they can actually undertake and then we sort of fall into helping them deliver on whatever they've what we've helped them come up with so yeah it's again coming back to that understanding what can go wrong and what the impact could be and then building protocols procedures uh, business processes to kind of achieve their aim whatever that might be so if it's oh we're going to this part of the country we're taking x amount of people from these locations how do we get them there safely how do they get set up and, and deliver on, on what they have to do? They shouldn't be worrying about whether it's COVID risk, security risk, other health and safety issues. We help them sort of better understand and mitigate those. So like I said, we, we sort of fit ourselves into their needs and become sort of part of the organization with a specific role, and that is helping them understand and mitigate risk. Yeah, I can only, you know, expect obviously the priority put on health and safety, especially over the past few years with the pandemic. And now I guess as we move into more of maybe an endemic phase, have you seen any sort of transition from different organizations or productions mentality on on the way that they're treating that as a risk and other risks as well? Some have embraced it and are now looking at how they perhaps need to just work smarter with with the now this endemic risk. Others have learned the hard way. Some could say that they're taking the sort of shortcut, thinking that we can just now carry on business as usual. And we've now had to come back in and work with them because all of a sudden they've, they've had problems with cases popping up here and the threat to uh, production is being sort of shut down. So again, I've, I've seen both ends of the spectrum, those that have embraced it, now looking at how they can upgrade the ventilation and HVAC in their offices, the, the office layout, um, staggering and being more flexible in their working hours with their employees, how they interact using technology to do more remote working or virtual meetings, all the sort of things that were sort of imposed upon us during the pandemic. They're taking those and now sort of applying them to 
their business, kind of daily business lives and how they undertake stuff. And again, starting to recover faster uh, and then now starting to look forward to how they tackle projects going forward. Whereas the others, again, they, they're having to reset and rethink uh, and they're starting to stumble back into what they did prior to the pandemic. Yeah, I imagine there's an interesting foundation that people are setting now that's hopefully going to set people up for success as we move forward into the future. I know I mentioned this earlier, you know, your career was rooted in your military experience and many of our listeners in safety and security roles are former military and law enforcement. I'm sure they would love to hear your take on how your military background actually informs your training philosophies. I think it's important to know your strengths and weaknesses and learn how your prior service experiences, whether that's particular skill sets or just service life, how you can leverage that in your current role and and business sector. Many of the basic or core competencies that I learned in the military are easily transferable and applicable to, to any career. I think the important thing is knowing how to translate what can be another language, whether that's from the military, law enforcement, or other emergency services how you can translate that into today's business or professional setting. Uh, I think that's one of the important things. So when you're articulating a particular solution to a client or a manager, they can understand what it means to them and to the organization, not just your perception, because sometimes that can, can become a barrier. I've worked with a lot of more seasoned and professional folks from my background that have struggled kind of in the civilian world or in the business setting because they've not been able to adapt to the new environment and learn to speak corporate or whatever it may be. So again, same sort of experiences. It's just how do you transfer them across and how do you sort of articulate them with that that business goal in mind? I think in a lot of roles uh, I've had in the past, I've always had a, an understanding of how to look at risk and minimize it for the achievement of a, of a large objective or goal. So that's really sort of in its most simplistic terms, kind of, and that could be traced back to like recruit training. You get told on a certain day, you have to make your bed a certain way. And at the time it can seem very petty, but it's attention to detail and following orders. And it's not there just to like be annoyance. It's there to instill those disciplines within you and I think that's it that's important to to realize there are many skills from those sort of training situations that are applicable in any any career in any job setting today yeah those are some great examples we actually have a lot of veterans on our team and the transferable skills are just amazing um, it's definitely a great credit to the this different skill sets and experiences that they've had well to close out our conversation today always looking for kind of final pearls of wisdom what would you say is the most important thing that you tell your clients after their safety and security programs and do you think there's a main takeaway or universal piece of advice you could offer i think the common theme is for, for me anyway i'm a big proponent of, of training Again, it's, it's learning to take other people's experiences and distill them down into what really makes sense to you, to your role, and perhaps to your organization. There are a lot of employers out there that, that don't realize that the right type of training can give an employee a considerable amount of control over a challenging or complex environment or situation, which in turn then enables him or her to to vastly reduce those risks. Obviously, that then lowers the risk to the company. And more importantly, there are direct and quantifiable business results from that sort of investment in training that 
should outweigh the upfront costs because training, like you're protecting the company assets, whether that's employees or the facilities. And obviously it helps with operations. They will run more effective. Employees will have greater control of their environment and will be more productive, less distracted by concerns of safety and security. That employee-employer relationship is improved. And then you've got lower turnover costs, which obviously can cost an, an organization a great deal of money. So that return on investment on that training is then in, increased. You look at retention, and you attract the, the brightest and the best. And that gives you, again, a great competitive edge. So again, it, it's thinking more long-term than short-term, that if you invest in your people, they do a better job, they'll stay with you longer, you lower the risk. And again, to coin that often used business term, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously true, you know, in any industry and across all, all organizations, really great universal advice. Well, Tim, thank you so much for chatting with us today. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise with our listeners. No, thank you. I enjoyed it a lot and hopefully the, the listeners will too. Fantastic. So if anyone wants to connect with you or find out more about Flying Frog Consultants, where's the best place for them to find you? We're on the internet, obviously, www.flyingfrogconsultants.com. You can find us on Twitter at Consultants Frog. We're also on Instagram, Flying Frog Consultants. That's great. Wonderful. Thank you all for joining us on the Employee Safety Podcast. It's been a pleasure filling in for Peter today. To make sure you never miss an episode, you can become a subscriber at Alert Media's website or on your favorite podcast player. We would also appreciate you giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Have a safe week, everyone. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.